All right, I'm going to invite you this morning to open your Bibles to Psalm 117. Psalm 117. I want to ask you the question here today, and I think this is ready to go. Why are you here? Why are you here? And for some of you, you had to be here. That's kind of a rule. You have to attend. You have to go to a church somewhere. For others, and a lot of us, that might be in my case, uh, it, it's kind of the idea, what would people think if I skipped church? I mean, I have to go to church. People would think this would be odd if I wasn't. That's the thing to do. For others, if you're like me, I grew up in a family where church was not an option. If the doors of the church were open, I was going to be in present in church. Somebody said to me one time, they said, uh, Jeff, when did you start going to church? And I said, nine months before I was ever born. Because that was just our family. That's what the Davises do. How many of you grew up in a family like that? I mean, church, that was it. Many of us, many of us were like that. So we say, why are you here? And you say, well, that's what we do. We live on the other side of Greer. We actually drive about 30 minutes into church. Out of curiosity, how many of you drive about 30 minutes? Hold your hands up. Look, hold them up high. Hold them up high. Okay, that, that's a lot like, like our family right here. I was talking to Pastor Sam about that. That's a lot of our church family come in from a big distance. But we come here for a purpose. Why do we come? It's because this is our church. This is our church. We are the body together. And so I, I, I think about that and I think, okay, this is, is, is my church. And you say, well, really? This is your church? I never see you. I don't know you. I don't recognize you. Let me introduce myself. Uh, ben did a, a good job at first there, but I served as the director of EMU International. This is just a screen grab from my website, uh, pastorjeffdavis.com. I know it's hard to remember, so you probably want to write that down, but it's pastorjeffdavis.com. This will give you some information on our background, our ministry. It'll connect to EMU International. It'll also share with you uh, our latest updates. You can subscribe to our newsletter if you want to get that emailed to you, but you can just read that. I do like a blog post. Not as much as I should, but uh, be sure to go by there and see that. As was mentioned, I served as a pastor for 25 years. I was the youngest charter member in University Baptist Church just up the road here in Clemson, where Dr. Cook pastors now, and uh, then I was the founding pastor, church planner at Harvest Baptist Church in Rock Hill, South Carolina, and uh, I was 28 when I left that ministry. I was 24 when I started, so I was pretty young starting out in the ministry as a pastor. But at 28, I went up to find a mentor, to get under a veteran pastor, and the Lord graciously led me to be in the Midwest, in the Hoosier State. Do we have any Hoosiers here today? Any Hoosiers? We were at Grace Baptist Church in Muncie. I was telling somebody this morning, every time I would cross the, the, the Ohio River to go into Indiana, and I'd be going across, I'll pull up straight, no chaser, singing back home again in Indiana. So we love the Hoosier State. I was talking to somebody this morning from West Virginia. I do the same thing with country roads, take me home. You know, just depend wherever I am, I'm on the road. I'm pulling that up a lot of times. But um, I pastored at Tabernacle Baptist Church in Wilson, North Carolina, and then Oakwood Baptist in Anderson. And our last time, our last ministry was just up the road from here. And when I was leaving to become the pastor of, um, I was leaving to become the mission director with EMU International, Pastor... Jason at the time said, Jeff, we really could use you. We had some folks from Oakwood that had left Oakwood, were coming over here, and this was his natural fit, and it wasn't long before we found out, okay, this is going to be our church. And so we drive 30 minutes in, this is our church. And again, you say, well, I, I really don't know you, but I'm saying, why are you here? 
Well, I want us to look at Psalm 117. And as we look at Psalm 117, what I want you to discover from this is something more than just, why are you here? Not, why are you here at church, but why are you here on this planet? Why are you here on the planet? We're going to go through every verse in this. Okay, I hope you put your seatbelts on. We're going to cover every word in this psalm. I hope you're prepared, because we're going to go through this and tear it apart. I think this is going to answer a question that all of us need to answer. When I was a kid, I, I sometimes had this kind of a thought, why am I here? You've probably asked yourself that question. And I'm not talking about why are you at church. Why are you on this planet? Well, Psalm 117 says this, Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. For great is His steadfast love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. You know, that sounded a lot like what you did in our call to worship this morning. These words are very similar. This is a heartbeat that we find all throughout the Scriptures, particularly the Psalms, this driving us to our purpose for why we are here and why are we here on this planet. If you look at this passage here, this section, Psalm 117, only two verses. It's actually the smallest chapter in the entire Bible. And if you have a hard copy of your Bible, I'm using an iPad this morning, a lot of you are on your phones, but if you have a, a, a copy of a Bible, a printed Bible, you open it up, Psalm 117 is actually the middle chapter of the Bible. And I've often wondered, is there something behind this? We believe God is sovereign. We believe God is a God of purpose. Everything He does has purpose. You know, I was thinking even this week with all the things going on around the world today, all the tragedy, that's one reason I pray even so, Lord Jesus, come, is because we're in a mess where we live today. Some of you, your lives are being uprooted. They're being shaken to their core. You don't know what God is doing at the end of the day. But I want you to know that God is doing something and none of this surprises him. And so we come to a passage like this. I believe God is sovereign. I'd like to think there's a purpose behind what he's doing. And I do think there's some significance to this because right in, in the middle of the Bible, the middle chapter, and, and I know it's not Old Covenant and New Covenant right here, but it's singled on something that is bigger than even that. It's God's purpose from the foundations of the world right here on the very middle. Everything hinges right here on this passage in Psalm 117. It's part of what is known as the Egyptian Hallel, or simply sometimes we just refer it to as the Hallel. This comes from the Hebrew word that is translated praise, and you put it together with the whole phrase there, praise the Lord, and we get a transliterated word that, that is not necessarily just a word, it's transliterated into just about every different language on the planet. Anybody guess what that word is? You can see it there on the screen. Hallelujah! And if you go around the world, in just about every language group, you're going to have some kind of representation of this particular word, hallelujah. Now, we all mostly have come from a tradition that's not very expressive. I was thinking about that even as we were singing some of the songs we were singing this morning, as we were celebrating communion. And in my heart sometimes, I, I want to do this, or I, you know, I want to pray and say amen or something, but a lot of times we kind of hold it in there. But there's so many commands in the Scripture that we are to express our praise, and this is one of them, and you'll see that 
uh, in just a moment also. But when we think of that word hallelujah, we're commanded to say that. So guess what we're going to do right now? We're going to all say it together, okay? I'm going to count to three, and we're going to say hallelujah. Let's try to do that, okay? One, two, three. Okay, was that not pathetic? I mean, some of you said it, and I get it. We, we did it. We kind of went through the motions. And, and that's the problem sometimes. With Christians, we're going through the motions. And I want to help you out just a little bit to understand this, because hallelujah is rooted in something that really is, is, is at our very core. For, from some of us, as I said, our tradition doesn't normally express itself like that. But when something is real in our hearts, when something is genuine in our lives, we can't keep it bottled up. A few days ago, my wife brought home uh, some pizza. My daughter was down from Raleigh, and uh, she had her family with her, and she got some pizza, and she texted me. I was down in my office working, trying to get things for, ready for our annual board meeting, uh, yesterday, and that's one of the reasons I'm here in town. But uh, she she said, "I got you some diet Dr Pepper." We, I don't always get that, and so I went upstairs. I'm excited, pizza and Dr Pepper. Everything you know, pizza's better with some kind of soft drink or or, or some kind of soda or, or pop or whatever you call it. But uh, I I went up and I got my pizza and I opened up the Dr Pepper, and and you know what happened? It exploded everywhere. It was so moved on the way home that it couldn't contain itself. So that, that's what we're describing. When something is really genuinely real in your heart and life, it has to bubble over. So I want you to think about Jesus. I want you to think about what we just did with the Lord's table, which we celebrated communion together. Jesus dying on the cross first. And, and I'll tell you the words of that song where, where the lion, Jesus, is coming out of the grave. That ought to motivate us. That ought to drive us to be praising God and expressing hallelujah. Let me give you an illustration of this. I am a huge Clemson fan. I grew up in Seneca just up the road here. I went to all the Clemson football games. I was, in 1981, I was in junior high. We won a national championship. It was 35 years before we went back to the playoffs, or we went back to the, to the championship game. Lost to Alabama that year, but we went back in 2017 and, and, the, and the game, it was geared up. I was at home. I was ready to watch this game. Again, it, it had taken them all of this time to get there. They're now in this game. They are trailing at the end of the game, 31-28. to 28. Quarterback Deshaun Watson drives them down the field with two minutes and one seconds left, drives them all the way down to the two-yard line with six seconds left. This is the last play of the game. It's got to be. What are they going to do? And, of course, Hunter Renfro runs an illegal pick. Some of you will say that. But he makes this play, and he goes out and makes this little cut, and, and he catches the ball, and, and as, he, as, he, as he scores the winning touchdown, I remember jumping out of my chair. I remember saying, yes! And then I just collapsed back into my chair. Now, probably we have some Clemson fans in here today, but there are probably not a lot of Clemson fans. But I want you to take whatever expression you feel your team, whatever it might be, and think about this, and think about that same kind of energy that we put towards a stupid sports team that so many of us can't even remember who won the, won the national championship last year. And think about Jesus and what he did. I don't want us to say hallelujah one more time, okay? Let's do it, and let's do it expressively. That's what he's commanding us to do, okay? One, two, three. Hallelujah. Okay, some of you are awesome. Some of you still are pathetic. We'll have to work on that. 
So Pastor Sam, if you're watching online right now, or if you're asleep watching it later, more likely the case, you'll have to work on that with these folks. I mentioned Psalm 117 is part of the Hallel. Now this is interesting also, because the Hallel was something that was often celebrated at Passover. It's Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. And in this passage of Scripture, particularly chapter 14, deals with the, um, the exodus from Egypt. And as the children of Israel would have been leaving Egypt. And so with this celebration, uh, in, in whatever the reading of this is, they would come together, the Passover, which really was a celebration. It was a somber celebration, but it was a celebration. I don't know if you've ever participated in a Jewish Seder. I did last, um, at the week of Easter, I was up at Faith Baptist Bible College in Iowa, had the privilege of participating in that. It's an event. It is a long process and all. But it is an amazing experience to be able to participate in this Passover. They would have read Psalm 113 and 14 at the beginning of the meal, and then when 15 to the end at the end of the meal. But I want you to think about the significance. He has just instituted the Lord's Supper. He's prophesied what's going to take place. Judas is about to betray him. He's going out into the garden to pray. Sweat as drop, the sweat drops like agony and the blood and all that's coming forth. He's going to be flogged. He's going to face six unjust trials. He's going to be crucified. He's literally going to die for our sins. And just a matter of a couple of hours before all of this is set in motion, Jesus has the nations on his mind. And I want you to think about that. He has the nations, and when I say nations, he means all the people. Notice, first of all, the universal invitation to worship as we see here in verse 1. Look at our text again. It says, gives us the what of this passage as we look at this, and this is a command here to praise. He says, praise the Lord. This is a very common command. 165 times in the Old Testament we see this command to praise. And it literally means to glorify or to shine. We are called to turn on the spotlight. Now let me focus a little bit on the what of what this is taking place and what it looks like. And particularly what it has looked like a little bit in the history of our mission. EMU International stands for Evangelical Missions to the Unreached. But we were a mission that was founded in 1946 by a pastor in his 40s, very similar to myself when God was calling me. It it, it was a pastor in his 40s that felt God's definite call of missions on his heart and life, and he was looking towards um, going to Argentina. He was thinking, China, where's God going to put him? But he landed in the small South American country of Uruguay. It's actually the the second smallest country in South America. And he went down there, and the way people describe it is they say, Jeff, it was like a New Testament movement. One man never really even learned the language, but began to sit down and work through translators and began to teach nationals how to study the Bible, how to preach. Churches began to grow and explode. Camps were established. And from the very beginning, our foundation has been consistent. Works of evangelism, establishing churches, and equipping nationals. And for 40 years, we were entirely the Evangelical Missions to Uruguay, and then we expanded into other countries. And I wish I had time to tell you about what God is doing around the world with, with some very, very, very key, uh, qualified, amazing missionaries. But we are equipping nationals, and that is one of the biggest focuses, if you think about EMU International, it's reaching the national to reach his own people. For example, this past summer, I had the privilege of hosting Billy Judson. He's one of our missionaries in India. Billy 
uh, and his dad, since 1999, have started 57 Bible colleges, 57 teaching sites. Their motto is, every local church, a college classroom, and they've had well over 16,000 graduates as a part of this particular ministry. You and I cannot get into India as regular missionaries. That's just not going to happen. We're going to get in major trouble. We're going to have to jump through many, many hoops to do these kinds of things. But if we can reach the national to reach his own people, that's going to be key. And so that's been a big focus of how we are trying to shine the light upon God and bring him glory by reaching the national to reach their own people. This past fall, I think it was, there was a group from Palmetto, and you see Pastor Sam right there in the middle, that had the privilege of going down and working with Tim Chapman, one of our missionaries down in Peru. If you were at Bob Jones for the opening ceremonies this uh, past semester, this semester, Tim preached the two services to open this semester. But Sam went down to start these theology retreats, and you can see a large group of young people, and they got to witness. Some of Palmetto were down there. I think, Hiro, you were there with the group. And, and as they were down in this area, they got to see this focus on reaching the national to reach their own people. Last month, I had the privilege of taking Dr. Kevin Oberlin. Many of you know Dr. Oberlin. He's the dean of the School of Religion here at Bob Jones. We went down to Uruguay to work uh, for every February. I go down there for the camp season, and I'm down there for the workers' conference. We've got about 25 nationals that we work with, and I was also preaching at the family camp. But when we got down there, somebody told me, and this is a, a picture of our group, Kevin, there on the end. Somebody told me, Jeff, you need to take Kevin down to the shore, we are about a half a mile, our camp's about a half a mile from the beach, and so we, we went down, we walked down there several times, and we went down to the beach and we looked up at night, they said, just look up at the stars. Now, I began my newsletter this past, the, if you get the April newsletter, you've already read it, but I, but I began it this way, I said, we gazed in awe at the breathtaking view of the night sky as we stood on the small cliff overlooking the beach in Guasavira, Uruguay. We were only a half mile from Campamento Emanuel. One of our missionaries told me I needed to take Kevin Oberlin to the shore and just look up. And we were amazed at the exhilarating view of the Milky Way, which stretched across the sky like a sparkling river dotted with countless constellations. While the North Pole faces outward to the universe beyond, the South Pole points to the galactic center of the Milky Way. I'd been told that because we were in the southern hemisphere, there is no south star like we have the north star. Instead, lighting the celestial display is the southern cross, a well-known symbol of the region. Of the region. With a minimal light pollution, the stars appear brighter and more vibrant, making it a breathtaking sight. And we quoted together a verse that I preached on just a few days earlier at family camp. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And like that cloud of stars that for us that evening, it was just, it was amazing. I can't, a, a photo like this does not even begin to capture it. We were just amazed at that. And like that, that stars were shouting glory to their creator, we are commanded to turn the spotlight on our God. A lot of times in my private worship, I begin just entering into, not just reading the Bible, not just opening it up and rushing in, not just saying God and rushing into His presence, but, but the words to one of my favorite hymns. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds Thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, Thy power throughout the universe displayed. 
I don't know how many of you, that's one of your favorite hymns. That's, that's mine. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. And it just turns my attention. When you really begin to capture that, we're like that bottle of pop that has that been shaken to its core. We cannot be contained. We're going to have to praise. Now, what is the object of our praise? He says, praise the Lord. And if you look at this, you'll notice it's all caps. Many of us know that's the name Jehovah, or more appropriately, Yahweh, the more accurate term there. This is talking about God, and it's one of the most common names for God, occurring 6,823 times. But this is at its root, the name for God, when he says, I am. Remember when Moses was looking for some personal identification, and God says, I am. Uh, he, He always is. He existed before time, he is existing after time, he is simultaneously at the beginning of the world and at the end of the world. In other words, in theological terms, God is infinite. He's not finite like we are. We're all trapped like the the science fiction guys say, the time-space continuum. God is outside of all of this. He's so much bigger than all of this. He is the great I am. And you recall Jesus Christ back when he was having a confrontation with the religious leaders in John chapter 8, verse 58. He said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. And Jesus was claiming identity, and they knew that, and they took up stones for him. And so, so when we're saying praise the Lord, we're praising our God, we're praising Jesus. And I think about the word hallelujah, And that should motivate us to, again, express that kind of praise. Now, if you keep looking at this, we see the who of the passage. Praise the Lord, all nations, not just Israel. This word sometimes has been translated heathen, sometimes translated Gentiles. And so this really is a command that goes beyond just Israel. It's it's a command that goes to every single nation. So we see this universal invitation to worship. Now, I want you to look at the second part of this Verse And the verse that Brian read to open us used this same word also, the word extol, to extol him. We don't often use that, maybe at Christmas time, sometimes we, we use that word or like that. It, it's been translated laud also. Now, we don't talk like that, unless you're from down Charleston and you're saying praise the laud, you know, like maybe somebody say that. But, but, but that is a totally different way of, of meaning. But, but the word extol literally means to sing aloud Loud enough for everybody to hear. Loud enough so people... So you three girls over here that I said sing really pretty this morning in my ear, you did great. Sing loud. Expressing uh, what you're singing. Now, I've been in the pastorate long enough. I, you know, I, it was said, I pastored for 25 years. Many times I would sit up on a platform and look out at folks. And it's interesting as you look out, some people really enjoy the singing. But some people struggle with it, and some people don't even sing. And you think, okay, what are we, why are we here? I prayed this morning, help us not to just go through the motions. Why are you here? Are you here just to go through the motions, or are you here truly to worship God? Are you here truly to praise God? Well, a lot of folks, when we start singing or whatever, it, again, we say, like, I go to church because that's just what we Davises do. Why do we sing in church? Well, that's just what we do. No, there's purpose behind what we're doing. There is intentionality behind what we're doing here. And I want you to 
think about when we sing these different words. Puritan Richard Baxter talking about this. He said, he said this. He said, conceive of this duty of praising God according to its superlative excellencies as being the highest service that the tongue of men or angels can perform. To bless or praise or magnify God is not to make Him greater or better or happier than He is. He, he, he already is all of those things, by the way. But it's to declare and to extol His greatness, goodness, and His felicity. What I'm saying is think about what we're singing. When those words are up here on the, on the screen behind you, the reason that they're up there and not in a book, there's some practical reasons for that. But one of those is that so that we're looking up together. Am I right, Kurt? I think that's something that's one of the things we're trying to do is to look out and be expressive together. And it's contagious when we're singing this. Think about the words that we sang. This is amazing grace. Now this is amazing grace. This is amazing. You know, it's not that. This is, this is unfailing love. That He would take my place. That He would bear our cross. That He laid down His life. So that we could be set free. And that should cause us to extol or sing loudly, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. This, there is so much packed into this verse of who we are and why we are here and what we're supposed to be doing. But I want you to notice as we think about this, this is not something that is exclusive for just us. It's for the nations. Let me, let me illustrate a little bit about how we tend to praise. We praise what we love. I've been known to brag on my wife. I've talked about my kids way, way too much. If we've had lunch together, you've probably heard me talking about my kids. But you know, I have the privilege now of being a grandparent. And, and if you're around me, it used to be you had to pull out your wallet for this, but now I can put it on a PowerPoint slide. Can I show you my grandkids? Aren't they just adorable? We're having another one that's going to be born in June. All of them under four right now. And so this is the exciting time. And I love to pray. Because why? We praise what we love. When I was driving up to Iowa last month, as I was on my way up, this long drive, I was going up through Kentucky. And as I was getting close to the Richmond, Kentucky area, it was like everybody was getting off at one particular exit. And, and you know, that old saying, if everybody jumped off a cliff, would you do it? Well, guess what? I did. I got off at the exit, and guess where I found myself? How I many of you have been to Bucky's before? You know what I'm talking about with Bucky's. If you've been to Bucky's, it's hard not to talk about Bucky's. I got on, the, on my iPhone with Joanna, and I was FaceTiming her. I said, honey, you've got to see this. It's crazy. People were everywhere. There was a line to the boys' bathroom. Always there's lines to the girls. But the men's bathroom, there was a long line going in. People, you could eat three meals at Bucky's. The country stores like the Cracker Barrel on steroids. This is it's just an amazing place. I mean, 120 or something gas pumps that were there. I, I remember the first time I heard somebody talking about Bucky's, I was like, how in the world? Why is somebody always just talking about a convenience store? Bucky's, Bucky's. But you know what? Half of Kentucky, Bucky's, Kentucky, or whatever it is. Uh, they're all going there. We praise what we love. We praise things. And it could be our favorite song. It could be our favorite music group. It could be our favorite movie. It could be uh, the scenery. We love the mountains. We, we love the beach. We, we praise these kinds of things. It could be 
you know, some scenery. We took our kids to a mission trip up to New York City one time, and they came out and came back just talking about the skyline. And when I was thinking about the different things we praised, and I thought, oh, man, the skyline, it came back to my mind, this place. Anybody here from Cincinnati area? Okay, you know about this, right? Now, my son-in-law's from Cincinnati. If he's talking about Chile, he's talking about Skyline Chile. I don't like Skyline Chile that much. But those people from up there, it's spaghetti, cheese, everything, and man, it's all about that. And all they're going to talk about is Skyline Chile. Now, I'm, the, the reason I threw these slides up here real quick like this is because we praise what we love. Why is it that we can brag about our favorite sports team, we can brag about a convenience store, of all things, or a bowl of chili. And then we don't think about what we just celebrated when we celebrated communion together, the body and the blood broken, and the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And, and, and here, as we sing, He's coming again. That should cause us to bring praise. We praise what we love. Now, the word says all peoples. You say, well, look at that. It's, it's plural, all peoples. Well, isn't that people already plural? Why do they put peoples? That word peoples is actually translated that way as plural peoples 230 times in your ESV Bible. There's a purpose behind that because we're not just talking about people. We're talking about like a group. A group is a plurality, but we talk about groups. So we're literally talking about the different people groups that are around the world. People groups are those groups of people that are not just bound by national borders, but there is a location, there is a culture, there, there are customs. Many times there's a language, sometimes even physical features that set them apart. It might be better for us to understand this, to think about people groups. Sometimes we might be thinking about tribes. That might help us to understand. Around the world, you've got just different tribal groups, different people that are represented, not just by geographical borders. But a people group has been defined as the largest group through which the gospel can flow without encountering significant barriers of understanding. How do we understand? That's like language. That would be one thing. And then acceptance. For example, sometimes that's the caste system or the, the way just naturally break down into the, the upper class and lower class or whatever. So in other words, what we have when we talk about people groups, we're talking about those that call us, us, them, them. They're distinguished, those that are insiders, those that are outsiders. In the Bible, we use the word for nations. Sometimes the Greek word is ethne, and that refers not just to nations, although it's been translated as nations, but really it's talking about ethnic groups. According to the Joshua Project, and this is a great website if you've never been to this, you can go to the Joshua Project and the current statistics tell us that the global population is approaching 8 billion people, but there's 17,443 different people groups. Out of those different people groups, we have unreached groups totaling 7,425. And when we're talking about unreached, in missiological terms, those unreached groups, that's defined as a group with no indigenous community of Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize their own people. That, that number that they've put on that is less than 2% evangelical Christians are in an area. That represents unreached. And if you look at that map, the red section is those that we would call unreached. 
the predominant group of unreached in the world is a part of a little window we call the 1040 window. It's also been labeled as the resistance belt. This is the most hostile area. You literally could die for doing what we're doing here this morning in this particular area. Some areas are, are, are more hostile than others, but, but this is a very, very difficult. And if you want to know who we're talking about and why they're so resistant to Christianity, take the acrostic thumb. You have the tribal, you have the Hindu, you have the unreligious like those in China, like where the Simmons are headed, you've got the Muslims, and you have the Buddhist. Thumb, okay? See, see, if you can, see if you can say that with me again. The T is for what? Tribal, Hindu, unreligious, Muslim, and Buddhists. So these are people that we should be praying for because these are the ones that have no... For many of them, no even access to the gospel at all. They are unreached. This should should motivate us because the command in our verse, as we just saw, is not just to us that are in Greenville, South Carolina, right here in the buckle of the Bible Belt. The command is to those... Those people with the red dots are being commanded. Now, if you want to zoom in, look at the map. Here is something even more startling. I just mentioned to you India with our missionary Billy Judson over in India and how we're trying to strategically reach the nationals to reach their own people. If you look at India, this is a country with 1.4 billion people. I read a statistic. I knew they were coming up about to pass China. I read an article that said they just did pass China in in population, in in, in the world population area. 1.4 billion souls. Now think about that. I'm not just talking about people, I'm talking about souls. They're going to spend eternity somewhere. Every one of those little red dots represents an unreached people group. But the Bible says that God desires for every single one of those people to be be proclaiming, uh, praising Him, or as it says there, to extol Him, all of these peoples. Now we want to see the undeniable reason for worship that is outlined here. And, and, and this question is, what fuels our praise? What fuels our praise? I remember reading about Paul Tripp. Paul Tripp's one of my favorite authors. He talked about taking his young son, youngest son one time to one of the National Art Galleries in Washington, D.C., if you've ever been up there, I love going up there to D.C. There's so many free things you can do. And one of them is going into the different art galleries. I took my daughter Hannah up there one time. And, and he says this. He said, as we made our approach, I was so excited about what we were going to see. He was decidedly unexcited. But I just knew that once we were inside, he would have his mind blown and would thank me for what I had done for him that day. As it turned out, his mind wasn't blown. It wasn't even activated. I saw things of such stunning beauty that brought me to the edge of tears He yawned, moaned, and complained his way through the gallery after gallery. With every new gallery, I was enthralled, but each time we walked into a new art space, he begged me to leave. He was surrounded by glory, but saw none of it. He stood in the middle of wonders, but was bored out of his mind. His eyes worked well, but his heart was stone blind. He saw everything, but he saw nothing. What fuels our praise here? Well, we begin in this passage with a look back as we look back in this. And we see in this passage of Scripture, the, you know, Psalm 117, as we're focusing on it, the exceeding 
grace of God. And again, uh, we're, we're talking about the why of this passage. Why is he worthy of such worship? Why is he worthy of this? The exceeding grace of the Lord. Read verse 2 with me. Look at this. For great is his steadfast love towards us. Some of you understand that word steadfast love that comes from the word has said, 248 occurrences in the scriptures. It's rooted in the covenant relationship. The Hebrew word has no Greek equivalent. It has no English equivalent. Translators have attempted to convey its meaning through different words, love, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, mercy, devotion, favor. It's really impossible to capture the complete meaning of this, this word here. Books have been dedicated to this just one word here. Whole series of chapel messages have been devoted to this one particular word here. So this idea of his steadfast love for us. Think about his steadfast love just a moment. Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. When the prince of life our ransom shed for us his precious blood. Been commented on that, that precious blood. Who is love will not remember. Who can cease to sing his praise? He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. Notice it's described as great. It's not great as in it's large, but literally it's mighty. It's prevailing. It's like the strongest side in the battle that, that overwhelms the enemy. It's like the floodwaters that, that overflow its banks. Great is his steadfast love. So we're looking back on what he's done. And, and I would challenge you, even in your private time, to take time to spend in thankfulness. Take time to meditate. Take time to reflect and think about what God has already done and is doing in your life. You think, oh, I've just got so many problems right now. I don't know what direction to turn. I don't know what God is doing. Pause and just reflect on what God has done. He's always done this. And understanding that he's been that way, that leads us to the second point that we're going to see here, the enduring faithfulness of God. So as we look back, we know that we can look forward because this continues the timeline of God and His steadfastness and His faithfulness, which, which means He's firm, He's unshakable. And it's the faithfulness of Yahweh, our Lord, and it endures forever. Let me help you with the definition of what that word forever means, okay? This is very profound. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. The word forever means forever. And forever. And forever. And forever. When I was a kid, I remember I used to think about stuff like that. I'd think about forever, and it was like I thought smoke could come out of my ears, and my mind was blown forever and forever and forever. That's our God, folks. Forever, He's going to be faithful. Praise the Lord. The word means hallelujah there. Which leads us to our third point, our final point this morning, and that's our missionary responsibility that's implied in this psalm. Now, I can't state it better than Piper when he says this. Missions is a cross-cultural movement aimed at helping people stop making much of themselves and start making much of their creator. Missions is a cross-cultural effort to transform people's hearts so that God is felt to be more praiseworthy than sports stars or military might or artistic achievements or anything else that God has made. I would say a convenience store or a bowl of chili, you could add in that. Missions is a cross-cultural endeavor to help people experience God as their treasure above all earthly treasures forever. It is a life and death struggle to give people eternal life which consists in knowing and enjoying God forever. 
and we notice from our God who He is, our missionary responsibility here, God desires a worship without borders. Why are you here? You're here to worship God. Every one of those red dots was created to worship God. God desires a worship without borders. This is the universal appeal that we see all throughout the Psalms. And I love the Psalms. I find myself in here. All the ends of the earth, all the earth, the inhabitants, all peoples, all the earth. Just just look at some of the references and what he's saying here. All the families of the people, all the earth, the world, all the earth, and all the earth. And he could just... I mean, it's all over the Psalms that God deserves this worship without borders. If you go over to the New Testament, that just reinforces what God's design was. And it was a plan for the nations. Not just Israel, but it was all of the nations. In Romans chapter 15, Paul is going to reiterate this desire that God's redemptive plan was for the Gentiles to be included. And what he does in Romans chapter 15 verses 9 through 13 is go back and quote from the Old Testament. In fact, if you look at verse 11, it says down there that this is actually a quote of Psalm 117, our passage that we're looking at this morning. And so the New Testament reinforces God's global design for the nations. Why? Because God alone is worthy of worship. All nations have to look to Christ and Christ alone for salvation. And and no matter how sincere those Hindus might be, no matter how sincere those Buddhists might be, no matter how sincere the Muslim might be, the Jehovah's Witness, the Mormon, we live in a religious world. No matter how sincere these folks might be, they have an undying soul that's going to spend eternity in hell without Jesus Christ. God alone is the one that is going to be worthy of our worship. And the only way to get to God is through Jesus Christ. Therefore, they must turn from their false gods, from their Ashtoreths and their Baals and their Chemoshes and Dagons and Marduks and Milcoms and Molechs, all of these Old Testament deities, these pagan gods that are listed throughout our Bibles. They are demonic at worst, they're superstitious at best. They are no gods, they're just mythological They're just these little hooks that we want to find some kind of comfort in or some kind of an answer or something beyond ourselves. Listen to the way I began my newsletter article following my trip to India. I said this, the man behind the counter at the medicine shop, what the Indians call a pharmacy, looked at me and smiled as I handed him my credit card. He excitedly exclaimed, in our culture you are a god. And I asked him to repeat what he said. Yes, I'd heard him correctly. He said that I am a god. I looked at him and I laughed under my breath. No, I'm not a god. He said, yes. I replied, I am no God. In India, the major religion is Hinduism. Nearly one billion people in India identify as Hindu. That's 80% of the population. There are 33 major gods in Hinduism. Some would say there are 330 million gods. There's a strong belief in one consciousness that manifests itself in infinite ways. Therefore, even a worm is God. I am not a a God, but I am a worm, as Isaac Watts declared. Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? We're not a worm, we're not a God, but we're all worms in need of Jesus. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all people. Why? Because there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. God desires this worship without borders, which leads us to our final point. We must declare his glory among the nations. One of my favorite passages is Psalm 96, verse 3. Where it says, declare his glory among the nations. What's this saying? Shine the spotlight. 
Just like those stars were declaring the glory of God. Shine the spotlight. His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He's to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Missions is declaring His glory or shining the light on them. Why are you here? Lest we think our process and what we're doing, this whole work of come, grow, connect, and then go doesn't have a purpose, the very end of the chapter of the book, at the end of the book, Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the Lord. See, God's already out there and He knows how this is going to end. This should drive us to be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. Why are you here? Not for a sports team, not for convenience stores, not for a bowl of chili. We were created for His glory. We were created to praise the Lord. Would you help me one more time? Can can we do a better job than we've done even yet? And say hallelujah together? Because, I mean, that's why we're here. To praise the Lord. Let's let's do it. If if you can reflect and get excited. If you can't get excited about that, just think about your sports team winning. Or think about your bowl of chili that you love. But, but, But let something well up within you. But really, let's be driven by Jesus, who we celebrated today. That body and that blood. One, two, three. Hallelujah. Amen. Father, thank you so much for our time here today. Thank you that we could be together and... Lord, thank you for this motivation that you've given us, the scriptures, that really drives us. The, the reason that we're not just here at church, but the reason we're on, our, on this planet. But Lord, this is our church, and our church is to be a part of your plan. And that is to declare your glory among the nations. And Lord, we know that this is just not some crafty little motto behind us to come, grow, connect, and go. But Lord, this should be something that literally drives us because you are God. Every single one of those red dots that we looked at a moment ago was created for the purpose to bring glory to you. May we be busy and a part, whether we're goers or senders or whatever it might be, to be a part of your mission to take the gospel, the good news to these folks. And may, Lord, you do that work We thank you, Lord, at the end of the day, we can look and know that this is going to happen. We're not a part of some kind of fool's errand. We're part of the greatest mission driving why we even exist as a church, why we exist as a human on this planet. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.